We talk a lot on this podcast about chess improvement, but when it comes to improving your hiring processes, Indeed is the platform you need. Indeed has over 350 million global monthly visitors, and it has a matching engine that helps you find quality work candidates fast. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with your candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Years ago, when I was running a chess teaching business, I found it hard to find good help, and I had to go through a lot of back and forth to even screen potential candidates. Indeed allows you to do those things efficiently in one place. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed for hiring, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of Perpetual Chess will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility if you go to Indeed.com slash chess. Just go to Indeed.com slash chess right now, and you'll be supporting our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast, Indeed.com slash chess. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, everyone. I'm Ben Johnson, and this is the Perpetual Chess Podcast. On Perpetual Chess, I have weekly conversations with the chess world's best players, promoters, and educators about their lives, careers, current projects, and best practices. Perpetual Chess is brought to you through the generosity of its Patreon and PayPal supporters. For more information, go to perpetualchesspod.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Perpetual Chess. As you may hear, I've been a bit under the weather, weather and before that, our guest was, but we're ready to roll. Um, so I'm, I'm excited. We've got another high-class guest this week. He is a 28-year-old grandmaster. He's been a top 50 player in the world, rated over 2,700. He was the French co-champion in 2012, also an author of approximately six books. That might be the right number. We'll discuss that with him, including the highly acclaimed Chess Calculation Training Series. Uh, he's the editor-in-chief of Thinkers Publishing, and he's been a second of GM Vasilin Topolov, uh, the subject of the just-released book, My Magical Years with Topolov. So, Grandmaster GM Roman Edward, thank you for joining us. Hi, Ben. So thank you for inviting me. Yes, I'm excited to have you as a guest. Um, like, uh, like a lot of um, a lot of strong players, I have on a list, and I intend to ask them sometime. But then, if I in, in, to come on the show sometime, but then if I see that they have a project of interest, that kind of uh, that kind of gives me the motivation to to strike. And when I saw that you had this book coming out about your time uh, working as the second of Vasilin Topolov, I thought that there there couldn't be a better time. I'm really excited about this book. Unfortunately, I've only been able to read an excerpt so far, but I really enjoyed the excerpt, and I can't wait to, uh, until the book makes its way to the United States and I can read the whole thing. So why don't, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about this project? So I wanted actually to write this book for, for a very long time, but... Uh I have a lot of work to do. As you said, I'm, I'm an editor of Thinkers Publishing, so I not only work on my own books, but I also have to work on the books on, of the others. So that book took me actually years to write because I was doing it only from time to time. Sometimes sometimes I would wake up at night and remember one story and would uh, write it down. And so actually, I think I, I really think I started writing it maybe in 2016, but uh just just took me a lot of time. 
And you worked with uh, GM Tapala from 2010 to 2014. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And in the intro to the book, uh, Vasilin himself wrote the introduction, and he he kicks it off by saying, uh, in the second half of 2010, my manager Silvio Danilov told me he had received an email from a young French GM offering his cooperation. We asked him to send an example of how he works, an analysis of some opening variations. Roman Centafile with an improvement in the Night Orphan, I liked it. In my experience, a young player willing to work hard is more valuable than a renowned but unmotivated GM regardless of playing strength. Later, we met personally during the Chess Olympiad and we agreed on a training session and it goes from there. So why don't you, you take our listeners back to, to the beginning of this relationship in 2010? So you didn't, you didn't know uh, Grandmaster Topalov at all and you just reached out to the manager? To his exactly. Actually, everything is writing is uh, exactly what happened. I got in touch with uh, his manager Silvio Danailov. Uh, so uh, yeah, everything he says uh, is true. And then uh, we met in the first time a few months after this Olympiad uh, when we had our first talk, and uh, we got along quite well. And the work we were doing was quite uh, effective. So indeed, then it continued. So I know that you're a strong grandmaster in your own right, uh, extremely strong. But nonetheless, I feel like it might be a bit intimidating to meet him for the first time. How how did it feel? Yeah, it was I didn't know I didn't know what to expect. Also, because uh, I, actually somebody suggested me to 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 write him because somebody told me he was looking for young players to work with. Uh, but of course, uh, I didn't know what to expect. Also, you know that there was there was this uh, Elista target gate in 2006. Right. So medias were not very friendly to him after that. Uh, so I didn't know if he was going to be extremely friendly, normal, or uh, if he was going to be like what uh, some people were saying because of this match in Elista. And uh, I w- yeah, I was a bit intimidated, but very shortly because. Uh, it was so friendly, so nice um, that after uh, after just a few minutes, I was feeling very comfortable with him. Okay, yeah, and for for any listeners who aren't familiar, you can look up chess, if you Google chess toilet gate, you'll find out all you need to know about this 2006 controversy. But again, just to give this context, this was four years later in 2010, and uh, Vasily Topalov was still, uh, I believe, he was number two in the world at the time, so an extremely strong player. So it must have uh, felt good that that the the analysis that you contributed, he felt like could help him. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't remember if he was number two at that moment. I, I, th- I think. I think he was a little bit. I mean, I don't. I don't think he was number two, but he was very close. Like uh, it, it, just a few points difference. So yeah, I was. Uh, I, of course, it was another thing to know uh, if he would be really interested in continuing working with me. And uh, when he asked me after the training session to find more dates and more time for him, I, of course, I was very happy. And then a few months later, when he asked me to join in for a tournament, I was even happier. And you were what, 20 years old at that point? Um, 2010, I was 18. 18, wow. So, yeah. Just... Uh, excuse me, I was 20. I okay, was 20. yeah. Me. I mean, so just just a young man, that's just an incredible experience. I mean, both in just uh, in terms of uh, living chess history, and I'm sure it, it helped your, your chess as well. How much did you know about what it would be like to be the second of, of a high-class player? Had you read books about it? Had you talked to other people who'd had similar work experiences? 
Um, I knew more or less. <clears throat> I was good friend with good friend with Maxim Vashirarab, so um, I knew how it was to. I know what he was expecting from his people. Also, I had worked for him one tournament. Um, actually, just a few months before working with uh, with Topalov, but uh, he had other seconds and uh, didn't need me at the time. So, uh, so that's why that's why we did only one tournament, and then I, then I joined Topalov. Uh, but thanks to this experience with Maxim, uh, I really know what to expect. I really know what the job was. I mean, to work all night. Um, and also a few mistakes which I which I made with uh, Maxim at the time, uh, then I did not repeat with Topalov. So somehow that's maybe why it started immediately very well with uh, Veselin. What what were the mistakes? Well, like uh, you know, sometimes you may you need to work obviously with a chess engine, a very strong computer, and so on, uh, because you cannot find everything by yourself. But for example, sometimes. You may focus a little bit too much on the computer, and uh, you know when you work several hours, uh, sometimes your brain can switch off, and you're just following too much the computer, and you can miss some human mo- human moves, for example. So that's what makes the difference between a good second and a bad second. That the good second is able to combine um, its own thinking and the computer and the, the engine thinking, um, well, to somehow come up with uh, some idea that the others uh, that others didn't find. And when you were working with Vasilin, were there others on his team that you were working with, or was it pretty much just a, a solitary job? No. Uh, actually, uh, as I explained in the book, I was, uh, I was his only second for uh, the first three years, and only for the candidates tournament we, uh, we called another player to help. Okay, and were you you mentioned staying up late? Were you typically traveling with him, or just uh, doing sessions via Skype and stuff like that? Um, usually, we did it online most of the time. Uh, the first tournament by Conte, I went with him. Um, I went with him to Norway Chess, but for example, Fide Grand Prix, I was working from my home, and yeah, we were talking on Skype. And uh, well, actually, it doesn't make. Uh, such a, it doesn't make such a big difference to work from home, um, and yeah. Then there was I think that I think there were the the two only tournaments I I went with him actually because I I had to go to the candidate but then my visa got denied. Uh, it was in Russia, uh, so yeah, this was the only two. That must have been disappointing. Uh, yeah, I, I'm talking actually about it in the book. Uh, yeah. Uh, I tried to get the visa, but the organizer made made a big, big mistake in the invitation, uh, a very strange mistake. And uh, well, basically, when I brought the document to the embassy, they were just uh, laughing and they told me uh, I can't get the visa with that. Okay. And for listeners, there's there's a free excerpt available on the Thinkers Publishing website, and I'll also link to that in the show description. And that was what I had a chance to read, and it it um. It shows the format of the book, which is basically a little background, some historical context, and then uh, there's also like hardcore game analysis. So whether whether your focus is chess improvement or chess history or a combination of both, um, I think you'll find something to enjoy there. Um, I, I know that they, they, you've mentioned that there, there are a lot of, uh, of good anecdotes in there. Do you have any that, that you could share with our listeners? Um. Like most, memor- example, most mem- sorry, go ahead. 
For example, there was a fun anecdote. Um, the first FIDE Grand Prix played, I mean, he played with me as a second in 2013 in London, uh, which he won. He, I had prepared for him a novelty in the Queen's Gambit with Black, an equalizing novelty in some endgame that everybody was playing and it was supposed to be a little bit better for White. So from the Black side, I had found a very clean way to equalize. And... I sent it to Veselin before the tournament, so he has it uh, ready. ready. And uh, actually, when he got the position over the board, he sought for very long, and he played some. He played a very bad move instead of my my novelty. Huh. So I was a little bit surprised, and I thought maybe I made a big mistake. And uh, he realized it. He realized about it just before the game, and uh, decided to to play something else. And then he just told me that. He just told me I decided just before the game to play the Queen's game because I, actually I was it was a tournament I was not there the first uh, the first two days I joined in after two days so he told me I was I was going to play Grunfeld and finally I decided to play Queen's Gambit and I just completely forgot to read your email again huh. so it got much worse in the game and uh, and but actually made a draw and then he got the same position in the last round when he had to even win to when he had to win to win the the tournament. And uh, he played my novelty, and uh, he even won the game. So that's that's quite a funny anecdote because somehow um, the first game was a good result because he had a draw. And uh, if he had played the novelty in the first game, he would probably also make a draw. But then he would not uh, be able to play the novelty again in the last round. So I thought that was a fun anecdote from our work. That's funny. I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm glad that it worked out because it must have been a, a strange feeling just to be watching the game and then see him not play it and then uh, then f- later find out all the details behind it. And, and I know that sometimes when that happens, it could be months before the move gets a chance to be played or maybe someone else plays it. And, and Yeah. And then also it, that it could, first of all, he could have lost the game and also indeed it could have been the novelty uh, would be played later by someone else and not by him. And at what point did you have the idea that maybe maybe this was an experience you'd like to write about? Um, I think I thought about it one or two years later. I, actually, um, I didn't have the idea to start to start writing books, but then I was contacted by Sinkers Publishing. Um, I started to write one book, and then I got more, in, more involved with them. I became the editor-in-chief, and uh, only as at this moment I realized it would be a very good idea to to write about these uh, years because they were unforgettable for me, and I, I thought I had a lot of things to say and a lot of great games to show. Um, that's why I did it. Okay, and for your your acclaimed chess calculation series, um, I know that you you've come up with a, a lot of challenging positions. So for listeners, I mean, they're they're not for the faint of heart. I wouldn't recommend them for definitely players. I would say under under two thousand. But there's some some great calculation exercises in there. Was that material that you ever used in working with GM Topalov, or was that strictly material that you found for for your books? No, that's some, that's something I need later. Okay. I, I watched uh, I watched thousands of uh, games to come up with uh, new exercises because I didn't want to use what uh, other people are. I mean, it would be too easy to just uh, you to just take a lot of other chess books and just uh, and just uh, make my own book out of them. So I really wanted all the positions or almost all the position positions to be new, 
and uh, so I looked for I looked for games, but uh, no, I did it uh, starting like 2016. So after my work is total off. Okay, and how, why how why did your relationship come to an end? Obviously, you guys must be on pretty good terms. If he being that he wrote the foreword for for your book, um, yeah. You, go ahead. Yeah, we are on excellent terms, but after after the candidates uh, 2014, so the tournament went very bad. Um, it finished last. Um, although and although he was uh, happy with our work because he got many good positions, I mean, actually many ideas that we had found, uh, he got over the board and he got uh, bad position. He got great positions, uh, but somehow the tournament didn't go well anyway. Uh, perhaps he was sometimes taking too much risk. And started to lose a few games, and uh, well, after the tournament, he said that uh, he's not going to play in the feeder cycle again, uh, and now he's just going to take it easy with chess. And uh, well, as far as I know, uh, I mean, that's what he told me that uh, he's not going to work with uh, anyone, uh, anyone in the future. And I don't think he got uh, any new person, although although it could be that uh, he did. Um, and as as you can see now, he's not playing so much anymore. Yeah. Do you know uh, what he's doing uh, with with this newfound free time? He's, he's still sometimes doing some things for for chess. Uh, he's uh, writing things, giving uh, giving signals, um, playing rapids, uh, and I think he's, now he's just enjoying his all of his free time with his family. Um, I mean, where you know what it takes to be such. A, such a chess player, you really have to be focused on chess all the time. And uh, I mean, now he's very happy with his wife, with his children. So he's just enjoying life, I think. Yeah, it sounds pretty good to me. Um, and you write in the book that, that Topalov is one of the kings of practical decisions in chess. Uh, for our listeners who, of course, know his name, but maybe uh, don't know as much about his chess style, could you, could you describe to them uh, how it is that he plays? He just is interested only in uh, aggressive moves. Is uh, yeah, for for example, when we were having training sessions, in every position he was trying to play h4, g4. He was always trying to somehow make the opponent, and he was hoping that uh, he was hoping that that would work. But uh, would that not work? Um, then, if let's say the opponent would have only one or two ways to defend. Which he believes are difficult to find, um, then he would consider it as a good, as a good practical try, and uh, he would play it anyway. Um, and most of the players, they, they they really can't stand this that uh, what they do is not objectively correct, and uh, they don't want to be worse with white, for example. Let's say um, Topolov doesn't care so much about this uh, risk, and uh, I think he has the same thinking in his games because. Uh, Sometimes in his games, he's playing very aggressive moves that uh, other players of his uh, other top players would not dare to play. Yeah, that that's uh, makes makes for fun viewing. Um, and in your working with him, I'm sure you prepared a lot of notes and uh, you know shared PGNs and stuff stuff like that. But how often did you get to either sit across the board from him and go over ideas, or or you know, as we as we mentioned, talk about things online. Like, how much of it was actual one-on-one conversation about uh, chess preparation and chess calculation, as compared to uh, just sharing ideas um, via the written word? 
actually, actually, we were always working with the chess board. I, I was, I mean, not during tournaments because, as I said, as I said, I was most of the time helping from my home. But uh, we were, we had, I don't know how many training sessions in Salamanca, in Spain, where he's living. Um, I don't know how many, but like quite many, and it was always like seven, ten days. Uh, and at, the, at that moment, we were. Uh, at this moment, we are finding most of the ideas. Okay, and you mentioned uh, before we started recording that you live in in Barcelona. Um, yes. For, forgive me. Were you in Barcelona at the time as well? No, no. Because I moved to Barcelona in 2015. Okay, and where in France are you from? I'm from Poitiers. Okay, um, but everything's like you know, short plane rides or train rides apart. So I guess it was not too hard to get to Salamanca. Uh, from Poitiers it was, because it's a little bit far from everything, um, but okay, not that difficult either, because in, let's say, two and a half hours, I could reach the Charles de Gaulle airport in Paris. Okay, yeah, so a bit of, bit of a haul to, to get to the airport, but I'm worth it, I'm sure. Um, okay, so yeah, I, I'll link to the book. I'm super excited for this. This is my favorite kind of chess book. I love books that sort of interweave uh, history and uh, chess education, so... So I'm looking forward to it, and I think uh, our listeners will enjoy it as well. But I want to get to your own chess, uh, Romain. I, um, I know that you recently played in Gibraltar, and from my somewhat uninformed perspective, it looked like you had a pretty decent showing. You, uh, you had seven points and finished um, you know, in a scrum in the top 20 overall. How, how did you feel about the way that you played? I was quite happy with my play. I only had one bad game. Um, and in Gibraltar, I, I hadn't been doing so well in the last year, so I was quite pleasantly surprised by with my result, and uh, I was happy to win rating points to even make a to even make a, a prize money, which uh, I I think well I think I only got it once in Gibraltar, and I played so many times. Uh, so and and the quality of my games, I was quite happy. So everything was good. Good. And had you been ramping up your training in, in preparation for Gibraltar? I didn't I didn't do any special work. I mean I, I in general I in general know enough about openings to you know to 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 find my way on the chessboard. So then in the morning I was preparing a little bit for the games, but uh, my preparation for the event was nothing special. Okay. And how often are you competing these days? Quite often, but I'm mostly playing leagues. Uh, every weekend, I have leagues. So I'm playing in the, I'm playing in France. I'm playing in Spain. I'm playing in England. I'm playing in uh, Belgium. I'm playing in Switzerland. So it takes uh, takes a lot of uh, time, at least uh, weekends. And uh, long tournaments, I'm trying to play a little bit less because I need uh, time to work on the Sinkers publishing books. Um, anyway, I'm going to play the the European Championship next month, and, uh, and then probably I will have a break for two, three months. Um, not a total break, but a break at least from uh, this uh, long 10 days tournament because I really need to focus on the Thinkers Publishing books. Yeah, you guys are super busy, and we'll, we'll, we'll get to that. You've got some other exciting titles coming out in addition to your own. But just a bit, bit more about Gibraltar, if you don't mind. So... Um, M- MVL Maxime Vachir Lagrave, who you mentioned that you're friendly with, uh, he mentioned that there was a, a strong contingent of chess players. That, I mean, a French chess players there in Gibraltar, um, and you know he described uh, hanging out and playing games at night. Were were you uh, 
Were you able to, to relax and have fun when you're at a tournament like that, or is it just all business? No, I, I relax a lot during tournaments. Uh, a chess game really takes up a lot of uh, your uh, energy and um, stamina and so on. And so, on. so actually, I actually will not be able to, to hold the pressure for 10 days if I couldn't relax in the evening. So, I don't try, of course, I try to be serious. I'm not going to get drunk, but uh, I will... Uh, I will play some cards. I will play. I will have some glasses of wine anyway, and uh, and relax. I think that's. Imp- I mean, everybody is different, but in my case, it's quite important. Yeah, I I, I would feel the same way in your shoes. And do you uh, do you try to get prep in once you find out who you're playing in a big open tournament like that, or is it um, better to conserve energy? In in my case, it's better to conserve energy. Um, that's what works best for me. And that's that's what I'm doing for now many years. Uh, some players feel more confident if they if they prepare prepare and uh, recheck all their files. Um, okay, in my case, I don't mind a little bit of improvisation and. Uh, yeah, I prefer to keep my energy for the game. Yeah, that makes sense. And do you have? Um so you've been over 2,700. You're at about 2,650 right now, as, uh, as I recall. Um, do you have, like, um, what's the focus of your chess career right now? Are you focused more on well, your playing or, or your editing or writing or just all of the above? The editing is more important now because it's very difficult. I mean, Singles Publishing is a quite new publishing house, and uh, it's a lot of work, and, of course... A new business, you really need to work hard. Otherwise, it's not going to. Otherwise, you're not going to be able to continue because, well, like any business, when you start it, it is financially not so easy. So you really need to put a lot of extra effort. And uh, right now, that's really my priority that uh, the product continues working. Now, now it's re- it's really well. It's really well started. I mean, it's really going well. And uh, that's the priority number one for me to keep the project uh, going as good as, as possible. But still, um, my rating had dropped even even more. Uh, I mean, as you said, I was 2,700. I dropped to almost 2,600. And I'm happy that at least I could manage to, f- to find some more energy to, to get back to 2,650, which is better than a few months ago. Yeah, and it's yeah. I mean, and it's twenty six fifty. Of course, is incredible in its own right. So I can I, but I mean, it's got to be hard to get those fifty points back because you're pull, you're basically competing even then against uh, other strong professionals. So um, it, impressive to do while you're busy with Thinkers Publishing. So so how did uh, your relationship with Thinkers Publishing begin? Um, the begin with Grandmaster Ivan Sokolov, um, who was at the time. With, with, with a friend of, uh, of Daniel von Yersele, who is uh, the guy who created uh, Sinkers Publishing. And uh, at the time, he was basically doing the job which I'm doing now, and he was trying to find authors, so he contacted me, and then uh, I got finished quickly after, soon after he, he moved to Dubai, so he had no time for the job anymore, and uh, Daniel von Yersele, so the managing director, Offered me to continue is to, to continue his uh, this job of um, 
managing editor, which uh, Ivan Sokolov was doing, and uh, then I, so I somehow got more and more involved every year. Okay, and I, I know you guys have a couple books coming out. It looks like uh, Michael Krasenkow, uh, Polish Grandmaster, just, just released a book. And here in the U.S., we'll, we'll be excited for it. looks like uh, Gada Komsky is, is releasing a book. Have you, have you been editing those, or are there sometimes uh, other editors that you are able to uh, hand off those responsibilities to? No, it's only me. Um, oh, wow. We have uh, all of our books, all of our English books are edited by, by me. Um, I'm not doing everything. Of course, we have uh, native speakers for, for the English. We have uh, typesetters for, for the layout um, and so on. But uh, everything that is uh, with, with, with the chess material, um, bringing expertise on it and uh, discussing it uh, with authors, that's, uh, that's me. Okay. Um, and yeah, I really like the cover designs of the books. I mean, the the... They're they're very pretty and very distinctive. It's easy to tell uh, which which titles come from uh, thinkers. Yeah, we try to. We we we. I think, as far as I know, we are the only chess publishing company that is uh, actually our our cover our uh, our covers are paintings. Um, uh, we have some people where uh, where with a pencil and with uh, just uh, painting the covers. And then the final two talks they do on the computer, uh, but yeah, that's why they are so artistic. Let's say uh, they are not they are not just some some simple thing doing with a, with with a computer. Uh, they are made by hands. So and yes, I believe they are creative. Um, I quite like them. I also know that sometimes uh, some people may not like one cover or another, because like everything that is artistic, it's also a matter of taste. Uh, but uh, I'm anyway happy, happy that we distinguish us from the others uh, doing this uh, special covers. Yeah. I mean, I feel like it's sort of a, a, a golden year for, for chess books. I mean, it's a golden era, I should say, for, for chess books. I mean, there's so many incredible books coming out, which generally I think is a good thing, but I mean, it, it, it must, as a publishing company, make it a bit of a challenge to, to differentiate yourselves. Yeah, but, uh, you know, um, I, think, I think there is room, from, there is room, room for uh, every, every chess publisher. So, I, I, I mean, I'm happy, with, when, I'm happy when another publisher is coming up with uh, a good title, and a, and a great book um, that I don't think that uh, harms us. Um, I don't think people mind buying one, one or two more books a year if they are good quality. The only thing that is bad for the book business is to have bad quality books coming out. Uh, then people may, might consider just uh, watching videos or buying online online things. Um, I believe that any chess book that comes, comes up in the market uh, is a good thing for us. Okay, yeah, that that's a good attitude and an abundance mindset, uh, w- which I embrace as well. Um, more quality products in the chess world is is only a good thing and can only help to grow the game. Um, so I wanted. So, do you mind telling our listeners, giving us a little preview of of what we can expect in the, the Gadakamsky book? The Gadakamsky book is uh, actually very similar to Fisher's book, uh, My Memorable Sixty Games. Uh, my most memorable 60 games, if I remember the title well. The 60 most memorable uh, games, yeah. Yeah, exactly. 
Um, so ba- basically, the same the same kind of book um, is uh, analyze, analyzing his games very deeply and with a lot of ex- explanations and a lot of text sor- stories, um, context, and so on. Uh, I, I was really impressed by what uh, Gata has been doing. He, he really puts a lot of efforts and all of his heart in this book. So that's that's be actually the actually he did so much work on it that we had to split it in uh, two volumes um, because it was it was just going to be too big. And so all what you can expect is to see. I think in the, in the first volume there are twenty six games if I remember well, uh, but with a lot of detailed explanations. So you can simply expect like very 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 high level um, analysis but quite understandable for everyone because there are a lot of exp- explanations of it, as I said. It sounds great, and it's coming soon, correct? Uh, it's already out. Uh, just takes a little bit of time to reach you guys in the United States, but it's already out. Excellent. Okay, so I'll, uh, yeah, I'll put a link to that as well, and I'd love to, to get my hands on it and uh, obviously talk to Gata if an opportunity ever presented itself. I mean, it sounds, uh, sounds incredible, and he's... Uh, you know, rightfully revered for, for all he's done in chess. Um, so moving on to, I just have a couple more topics, if you don't mind, Romain. Um, do you, so um, our listeners always want to know how to get better at chess. And as someone who's trained world-class players and, uh, uh, you know, a great player in, in your own right, I'm sure you've been asked this question many times, but but what is your, your general advice for, for working people um how they can how they can improve at chess with a limited amount of time to do so um with a limited am- amount of time of yes. course um you can't you can't manage something uh, incredible uh i will not lie about it that you need to invest a lot of time if you want to become really good uh but anyway you know, I think you need to play games. So even if there are blitz games, when you have an opportunity to play a few games, even with friends, you have to do it because practice is very important. Um, you need to find openings that you like, so you feel comfortable with your positions. And especially if you don't have time, you know, top top level players that are able to play everything, not only because they are good, but also because they have people working for them and they themselves work a lot and they work so much. Uh, that they get uh, that somehow they manage to understand every opening. But if you don't have so much time to focus on your chess, uh, then you really need openings that you understand. Let's say naturally, otherwise, o- otherwise because you have you don't have that much time to investigate them with with a computer. You're not going to get good um, a good feeling over the board, and you're going to go wrong pretty quickly. So a good opening repertoire, and of course. Uh, well, to know a little bit of uh, end games, so great great end games books like uh, Voritkis and End Games Manual, and of course to work on your calculation because calculation is, I think, the most important thing in the game. So I read in an interview on Chessbase with uh, David Nastasio um, that you you mentioned that your family uh, didn't have a lot of resources and your dad had to make sacrifices and you had to work a lot by yourself as a kid when you were uh, you know improving young scholastic player so uh, what did you do to get to get better i was i was i was working with my with my computer basically when i was young 
Um, I didn't like to read so much, uh, which which is a bad thing because I think it's very positive to read chess books when you are a young player. Um, but a good moment to to somehow get this uh, this uh, this culture culture that you can get, for example, reading I don't know Kasparov's book, Fisher book, um, and there are quite a few a few more famous uh, famous ones. Um, so I was working well, mostly with computer, um, but I was really spending a lot of time and uh, yeah, ju- just working uh, just working myself the way the way I'm doing it now, uh, except I was doing it at the, at a weaker level. Um, but I started to work pretty early on just by myself. Yeah. Okay, and then um, <coughs> so. How would you recommend working with a computer? Like, did you just play against it, or mainly use it for analyzing games that you played against people, or or what? Um, no, I, I was not. Uh, I've never been playing against a computer. I'm not very interested in that. Um, but uh, well, you need to work with you know Chessbase, a good engine, and a database. Um, also, if you if you bought, let's say, Mega Database, then you have some. Uh, analyzed games that you can uh, that that you can that you can check and try to understand. They're analyzed by grandmasters, so you can try to let's say analyze their analysis and understand. Try to understand what they're saying, because indeed, if you need to discover everything by yourself, it might be a little bit difficult at the at the beginning. And I was reading a few reviews. We we had we have, for example, Europe Shake in France. That is a, a good review. So I like to read what there was. Also, there are some grandmasters who are analyzing games. So you learn a lot when you read what they're saying. Um, I was trying to get every piece of information possible, basically. Okay, so you like annotated games. It's just that you more often were coming across them through chess base and periodicals than than through books. Yeah, it's yeah. Like- I, I I really think it's well. I, I also like now. Now I'm also doing. I'm also annotating many, as you're you're saying, and uh, yeah, I, I I like to do it, but I also like to read it. I think it's uh, nice to understand what people have in in their mind. You know, there are, there are so many people you can uh, learn with, even if it's just a little bit. So well, basically, it's like a chess book, but uh, shorter. So I think I think that's yeah. I, I, I like annotated annotated games. Yeah, it's funny though that you end up you you say you you weren't a big reader as a kid, and now you're an editor. <laughs> Indeed. Indeed, funny how things work. Um, so. Last topic, if you don't mind, Romain, I saw uh, you guys had a good week in the Pro Chess League, so you're playing for for the London Lions. Um, what what's going on with the team? How how are things going overall? Not not so great because until the last match we had been losing all the matches. So, well, until now it was a bit difficult because it was we were getting closer and closer to being relegated. Um, now, after this victory, we have t- chances to stay in the league, so we are going to fight uh, like Lions, because we are London Lions, and yes. uh, we are going to try to, to stay in the league, because now we cannot hope for anything more. Yeah, so you guys have yourself on the team, GM Simon Williams. Uh, who, who else is on the London Lions? We have several English English people. We have uh, Justin Tan, 
Um, we have sometimes Daniel Fernandez, although I think he didn't play this year. Um, we have uh, Ravi Arya, who is also a young English player, like 2450 guy. And we have a few other international masters. Okay, yeah, and I saw that you beat GM Eric Hansen, among others, uh, took on the, the chess bras this week. Yeah. So c- congrats on that. And speaking of which, do you have a, a favorite game of yours uh, from, from your career? Um, Putting you on the spot here. I won, I won a nice game against Kashyev in uh, 2010, I think, uh, with the white pieces. That was a nice game. Uh, I'm pretty sure there is at least one which I which I like more, but uh, right now it's not coming to my mind. Okay, 2010 against who? I'm sorry. Uh, Vlad Kashev. Ah, okay. Um, cool. Oh, yeah. So I'll we'll take a look at that game. What did you What did you like about it? It was well. I love calculation. That's also the reason why I wrote book and, books on calculation. And um, yeah. That game was pure calculation, and from from move ten, I could calculate the winning variation that was, uh, let's say, eight nine moves long, um, and somehow I really believe that uh, in almost everything in chess can be made with uh, calculation, including technical positions. I really believe it's all calculation, and uh, that game is a proof of that. Is a proof that somehow if you calculate. Uh, if you push your calculation until uh, very far, you can rediscover a lot of things uh, on the chessboard. Because in that game, would have been there. Was, there was something for I think a move six or seven of the line to a move to realize about, and uh, at some point I almost gave it. But I thought no, I have to. I feel there is something I have to calculate, and then I managed to calculate it until the end. And uh, well, that's really some. I really believe in calculation, so I like this game because it's a good example of that. And obviously you've published this chess calculation training. Um, what's your, your general advice for people who just feel like they keep, they try to get better at calculating and it just doesn't happen? They just stay in the same place. Is there, do you have any tips for how to sort of uh, break through that feeling? Well, you know, some some players are more technical and uh, calculate a little bit toward than the others, and some others calculate well, but have no hand game technique, for example. So, well, nobody's perfect, uh, but calculation, the only way to improve on it is to train, so to do exercises. Yeah, that's, just keep, that's keep really great. Okay. And one last question. Do you have a favorite game, um, either from uh, GM Tapalov or just generally like a favorite game of all time, not not just from yourself, but from, from any player? Yeah, I think my favorite game is a game of Topalov, but that's a loss. A loss to Kasparov. <laughs> that I thought that, that might be where this was going. Yeah, legendary <laughs> game. But that was really a brilliant victory by, by Kasparov. Um so that was played in Ugeven, in the uh, in the Netherlands, and uh, the year was was it 1992 or 2002? I, uh, I can't remember. Uh, we'll find out. I thought it was the late yeah. 90s, but uh, but hopefully. Yeah. So that, that was ah oh, that could be 1991. Actually, I can 
I can find it pretty quickly. That's from 1999, yeah. So that was also a game full of uh, intuition. Uh, actually, it was actually it's similar to my game with uh, Kashyap, but at a much higher level and a much deeper calculation because that was really a variation, like 15 moves long, like some unbelievable thing. And I also like Kasparov what he said after the game because uh, there was some fam- famous move at the end of the variation, some Rogue D7 move, which was incredible and which you had to see from the start. And um, I believe, again, that game is a proof that uh, you really need to give it all when you uh, when when your intuition tells you that a variation should should be working. Yeah, it, it's it's one of the classics for sure. So uh, for any listener who haven't seen it, or even for those who have, it's always always worth a revisit. Um, Cool. Well, well. Thank you so much, Romain, for for joining me. I know that you're super busy with all that you've got going on. So it was a pleasure. So thank you very much for inviting me, and uh, thank you for for delivering people with with a good show. Sure. Yeah, my pleasure. And just last thing, if anyone wants to keep up with you or with with Thinkers Publishing um, or anything along those lines, like what would be the best way to keep track of uh, what what uh, you and Thinkers Publishing uh, have going on? The best way is to follow us on Facebook. Every time we have a new book, we are posting something there. So there is a Thinkers Publishing account. I'm also on my Facebook account and sometimes Twitter account. Um, posting things about Thinkers Publishing. Um, I tend to post a little bit more on Facebook. On Facebook, I'm putting really every book that we publish with some personal comments on it um, and my personal feeling about the book. So to follow us on Facebook is uh, the best way. Excellent. And also, also of course, our, our website. Okay. Uh, Cool. So I will link to all that stuff and we look forward to, to many more great titles in the future. And I can't wait to, to get my hands on the Tapala book. So uh, th- thanks for taking the time to join me and for, for putting out such great content. You're welcome. Thank you very much. Thanks to everyone who helps make Perpetual Chess possible. That includes my producer, Matthew Passy and Geert Vandervelt for supplying the intro music. I also want to thank all of you who have helped spread the word about the show. That includes people who tell your friends and write positive reviews on Apple Podcasts or other platforms. Every little bit helps. But most of all, I want to thank the people who provide financial support. As you guys have heard me say, I spend a lot of time on this show, about five hours a week. And even though it's my favorite aspect of the work that I do, I would not be able to do all this without financial support. So most of all, I want to thank my Patreon and PayPal perpetual partners. They are... Chessable.com, Ace Vallega, Adam Ralph of ChessEngland.com, Adam Vrancourge, Adrian Gutierrez, Alex Pejas, Benjamin Handelman, Brian Castro of BetterChessTraining.com, Bill Moran, Brett Howard Lynn, Brian Mullis, I am Carlos Perdomo of ChessAtlanta.com, Chad Hilton, Chad Oliver, Chris Balcom, Chris Flanagan, Chris Wainscott, Christopher Baumgartner, Christopher Chabri, Christopher Woods, I am Christoph Zalicki, a.k.a. Chess Explained, Coach Jay's Chess Academy, Dan O'Hanlon, Daniel Gell, Daniel Ginsberg, Daniel Lucas, Daniel Naylor, Daniel Schaefer, Daniel Vine-E, David Cramley, Dwayne Edmonds, Ethan Smith, I am Alec Donnie Ariel, Frank Tortoris, M.D., Gary Andrews, Gary Lewis, Geert Vandervelt, Gerard Barta, Giovanni Russo, I am Greg Shahadi, Harish Srinivasan, GM Jakob Ogar, 
James Bonastia, Jason Woolham, Jeff Anderson, Jennifer Valens of OffTheRook.com, Jeffrey Martello, John Fernandez, John Fontaine, John Hartman, John Jernigan, WGM Jen Shahadi, Jens Green, Jerry Wells, John Thompson, Kare Christensen, WGM Katarina Nemsova, Kelly Palmer, I am Kostya Kovrutsky, Krishna Gopalakrishnan, Laura Bajowski, Lucio Casada Silva, Matthew Passi, Martin Habich, Matthew Tedesco, The Mysterious Moonmaster 9000, Mr. Mike Shahadi, Nate Salon, Nathan Webster, GM Pascal Charbonneau, Passy Passanen, Paul Bain, Paul Clarkson, Paul Sweeney, Paulo Santana, Peter Lux, Peter Merrifield, Quality Chess Books, Randall Temple, Ricky Grijalva, Rob Lazorchek of DiplomatChess.com, Robert Steiner, Ryan Stone, Scott Doherty, Scott McKinnon, Steiner Lima, The Law Offices of Stuart Katz, WGM Tatia Vabrahamian, Thomas Casper, Thomas Stanix, Thomas Tachenko, Tim Brennan of TacticsTime.com, Tim Seymour, Timothy Ha, Todd Bryant, Tony Rotella, Tyron Price, Victor Vrancouz, FM Zhao Cheng, and Zhivko Stoyanov. Wow, the list is getting long. Let's keep getting it longer, guys. Thanks a lot, and I'll catch you all next week. Podcast Network.